Hello, this is Brian McCormick. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, LeaderNetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is William Roberts. William Roberts is a leader who serves as the CEO of Red Capital Group. He is a tremendous leader with a voracious appetite for books and learning. He shares the wisdom of books with colleagues, customers, and friends in the form of his worthwhile commentaries. We spoke about leadership for a few hours on a couple different occasions. Those conversations have been turned into this month's four-part podcast. In part one, he discusses his favorite book, his favorite quotes, the books he recommends that aspiring leaders read, and the importance of creating a culture of learning and a customer-centric approach. Part two focuses more on Mr. Roberts' life experiences. He discusses his personal passion, dream, the places he would most like to visit, and the turning points and experiences vital to his development. Additionally, he mixes in universal leadership lessons and sound leadership wisdom. In part three, William Roberts offers his advice for aspiring leaders, talks about the traits most important in a leader, and gives his thoughts on how organizations can encourage, or conversely, can stifle leadership. In part four, he articulates his distinction between good and effective leadership, offers two interesting stories, and concludes by discussing the importance of culture. But now, we begin with podcast segment one, with National Leader of the Month, William Roberts. You had shared some of your favorite quotations. Could you go ahead and share those for those listening in as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to. The first one is from Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not then an act, but a habit. Uh, and, and by the way, all these, these quotes are quotes that in some form or fashion I've, you know, I've used uh, here at, uh, at Red. Some of them are on, call them posters, that, that we've created internally that carry messages uh, that I think are important. That one, uh, that quote of Aristotle's is on uh, one of those posters. Okay. Annually, uh, we set goals and make strategic preparations, and, and we do it from the bottom up. And we, so each uh, sub-segment of the business, you know, goes through a thought process and, and creates these strategic preps. And we call them strategic preparations and not plans because plans tend to be rigid. And, uh, you know, people think if they're following the plan, you know, they're, they're doing what they ought to be doing. When in point of fact, conditions change all the time. And really what we want to do and we want people here to do is to make, uh, is to make strategic preparations and then, you know, deal with the situations they confront uh, and, and evolve as necessary. So a uh, long digression, I'm sorry for that. I'll probably do that more than once as we talk about these things. But, uh, but many of these quotes I've used on the cover, the covers of these uh, these, these books we put together each year that contain our goals and our strategic preparations. And again, 
this quote from Aristotle is is one of the quotes I've used in that way. The, the second one I mentioned, and there's so many of these, by the way. I mean, I could have given you uh, probably hundreds uh, of quotes that I think uh, you know really get to the heart of uh, of key issues. But but the second one uh, I, I gave you uh, was uh, from Kurt Vonnegut. I want to stay as close to the edge as I can without going over. On the edge, you can see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. Hmm. You know, and there tends to be a uh, there tends to be a herd mentality in, in in business. You know, and and we're not in the business of running investments, but there tends to be a herd mentality in the business of running investments for, for people. If you remain part of the herd, uh, you know you're you're safe from criticism, right? And uh, right, you know, and, and you know, I, we believe in you know not making silly mistakes, but you know, in, in taking some risks, sure, and considered risks, you know, and and exploring new ground, you know, and you can't do that from the from the middle of a herd, right? Be who you are, say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. From hmm. Dr. Seuss, that message comes from lots of different people in lots of different ways. The next quote uh, that I gave you gave you from from Winning Every Day, Coach uh, Holt's book, uh, you know, is a, it makes a similar point. I just think it was I, I liked the Dr. Seuss thing, uh, and I used it. Uh, I use it on the cover along with some other quotes of of this year's. Uh, goals and strategic preps, preps book, because you know, it, in addition to the substance of the quote, you know, it it says be a little bit lighthearted about things. Dr. Seuss is certainly, you know, uh, lighthearted. It, it it says, you know, take some time to have fun. I mean, right. there's sort of like subliminal messages, if you will, in not so much in the quote, but in the fact that I picked a quote from Dr. Seuss. Sure. Uh, but the substance of it, you know, is is not dissimilar from uh, from the quote, quote from Lou Holtz that I gave you as well, uh, which was, "Don't compare yourself to anyone. You are singular. There's no one else like you in the world. What could be more beautiful or compelling than something so rare?" Hmm. The next one I gave you was a was a quote from uh, from General Patton. Uh, there's a great deal of talk about loyalty from the top, from the bottom to the top. Loyalty from the top to the bottom is even more necessary and much less prevalent. Sure. You know, and, and that conceptually um, ties in in a way um, to to, um, to to wanting wanting people not to be. Um, constrained by a herd mentality right uh you know if you demand you know if you demand uh loyalty from the top down and don't understand the importance or if you demand loyalty from the bottom up if you demand loyalty uh you know to the leadership and don't understand the importance of loyalty in the other direction then you create an organization which, which uh, I think, which tends to to operate, you know, by uh, 
uh, by rote uh, as a, uh, is is controlled by rules and and enforcers, uh, and uh, which doesn't uh, which which isn't uh, permissive of the uh, creative freedoms necessary to explore what's going on at at the edge of the herd. Sure. Uh, so. Uh, um, so, in certain respects, these quotes tie together, and I think you'll 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 see that uh, to some degree they foreshadow uh, some of the other thinking that that I that I've shared with you. Uh, okay. The next one is is from a book I really love the title of. I wish somebody here would have written it. I wish we owned the book, but we don't. <laughs> but it's sure a nice fit. It's from the Little Red Book of Selling. And uh, and the quote was, "If you're not on fire, you will lose to someone who is." Hmm. It, it, you know, and and uh, in our business in particular, you know, very competitive, fast changing, uh, and as I guess are all businesses uh, in this day and age, um, you know, you've you've got to be at it every day. That's another quote that is on a uh, a. Um, um, in essence, a poster uh, that that we created that's uh, on the wall in various op- various of our offices, including uh, the office here in Columbus. Okay. And you know, I, I uh, and I really like the uh, the last quote I gave you. The the, the final item is not really a quote; it's as I say, an, a, an African proverb. But the last real quote I gave you again from Lou Holtz. Uh, ties back to the three questions that he says everyone always asks subconsciously about everyone else. You know, those three questions are, uh, uh, do you care about me? Uh, can I trust you? And are you committed to excellence? Right. And, you know, and his admonition is, and that's what this quote is, do right, do your best, show people you care. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's interesting when the first time I met Coach Holtz, uh, I also had the opportunity to, to introduce him, and uh, and I told him and the group that even though I had just met him, this was several years ago, I, I felt like I'd known him for 20 years, and the fact is he helped me raise my kids, and because uh, years ago, not shortly after it was produced, uh, I bought a copy of his video, Do Right. And uh, and I listened to it with my son in particular, but also with my daughter, primarily with my son, so many times that when I when I read Winning Every Day, I could hear uh, Lou speak. Wow! And you know, and uh, and I and, and in all honesty, he did help me raise my kids uh, through that through that video. It's a very powerful video, and you know, you spend your whole life uh, or a lot of your life. Uh, figuring out how complicated things are. And then someone comes along and says, yeah, they're really complicated, but you know what? You can boil them down to some pretty simple rules, and if you do those things, or some pretty simple thoughts, and if you do those things, uh, other things all start to fall in place, and that's what do right, do your best, show people you you care does in my mind and, and why I included that uh, that quote. Sure. And and finally, this this African proverb that I that I included uh, sort of goes back 
and ties back to, uh, to, to the quote from the Little Red Book of Selling that I mentioned. And, in fact, I used it, uh, again, on a, on a cover of, a, uh, uh, of one of our goal and strategic preps annual uh, books. And, again, it's, it's on a poster that's in, in uh, various of our offices, including the office here in Columbus. And that, that proverb is, every morning in Africa... A gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it would be, or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve. It doesn't matter if you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better start running. Hmm. You know, great message in that. I don't even want to be the second slowest gazelle. <laughs> you know, I'd much rather be, you know, the the lion who's who's who the who the second the second to the slowest lion than than the second slowest gazelle. <laughs> but I want to be a lion when I get up in the morning. Huh? You know, I did have a follow up question also from the Little Red Book of Selling quote: "The if you're not on fire, you'll lose to someone who is." I'm curious. To me, that says something about passion and and really you know, putting f- your best foot forward. Is that something that can be taught by the in your estimation, or is that something that every person in the organization just needs to come ready to do? Well, that's a really good question, you know, and and it's it's uh, you ask really good questions. <laughs> You know, and it, it, you're asking the, you know, the, the kind of a question that goes to the heart of, you know, the fundamental debate that's going on in psychology today, right? Mm-hmm. Is it nature or is it nurture? Sure. I, I've read some about that. I'm certainly not qualified to speak to it, you know, in, 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 at an academic in an academic way. Uh, but I, but it seems to me that most people, not everybody. But, but that most people placed in an environment that uh, that encourages them uh, and um, uh, and supports them and creates opportunities for them tend to you know overperform their performance elsewhere and maybe overperform their expectations. I don't think that by changing the environment you you can change. The nature of man, you know, sure. or the, the nature of an individual person. Okay. But I think environment has an awful lot to do with with how people grow and develop, how they act, you know, how they perform. I think the culture they're in, uh, the expectations of their peers, uh, you know, what they're encouraged to do and the way they're encouraged to do it. You know, I, I think all of those things are really important. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Oh, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. When asked about your favorite book, you had identified Plato's Republic. Can you talk a little bit about why you've chosen Plato's Republic as a favorite book? Yeah, um, it's, it, well, there's so many great books. You know, I mean, really great books. Uh, you know, books that are... That are works of art, fiction, books that are you know scientific, that broke new ground, 
uh, you know, that that uh, that expanded human knowledge. Why did I choose Republic? I, you know, I chose Republic because I spent a lot of time reading Republic, and uh, no matter how much you read it or study it, there's always something new to take away from, uh, you know, reading Republic or reading even a segment of Republic. Sure. From a uh, the, the perspective of, of political thought, it's all or substantially all there, explored in one way or another in Republic, you know, in a, in, 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 in dialogues. You know, as I as I said in my response to you, you know, dialectic technique, myth, allegory, incisive logic, uh, it, it, that's all there. Uh, it, it's an art form. At the same time, I mean, it's a it's a piece of art. You know, it's not simply a treatise uh, on you know on uh, on politics or on human nature or on human interaction or on the way you know, societies behave or could behave better, it's also, uh, uh, it, it also is, uh, in my view at least, an artistic work. And importantly, you know, it, it revolves around the search for and the love of the good, or as Plato might have said, the good beyond the forms, and the search for truth. Sure. And, but it does that, it does that, that takes place in the context uh, of human nature as a constant. And um, the importance of understanding that human nature is fundamental and, and that there are other fundamental fundamentals is something that uh, it was part of, uh, it was something you, you, you learned and came to understand and appreciate when you studied uh, political thought at, at Notre Dame uh, in the grad school there with people like Gerhard Niemeyer. And it's it, the reason it's important is that uh, it establishes a limit to politics. Okay. If there, if if you can if you can immunize the eschaton, to 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 use language from you know the political thought uh, discussions at at Notre Dame when I was there. If you can immunize the eschaton, if man has that power, if if human beings can create heaven on earth. You know, perfect mankind and create a perfect world, bring heaven down to the surface of the earth, then all sorts of things become permissible in the short run. When you claim there are no limits to what politics can do, you know, then governments are become free to undertake all sorts of egregious acts. Sure. With the goal. Uh, with this wonderful goal of achieving perfection, the perfection of man and the perfection of society. You know, we've seen uh, a number of examples of that. And, uh, and generally what happens is uh, individuals, and not just a few individuals, but millions of individuals suffer. Sure. And, and, of course, you know, none of those efforts have come anywhere near perfection. And in fact, have, I think everybody would agree, move the societies that, whether it's the Soviet Union or any other totalitarian society, you know, that, that, that justify its, its actions based upon, you know, perfecting mankind or perfecting society, you know, they, they, they took us so far away, they inflicted so much damage, not only on their own citizens, but on the world. 
you've just got to stand up uh, for the fact that there are limits to politics. You know, and that's one of the really important thoughts uh, you know, that, that comes out of Plato. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's so. There's lots of reasons that uh, that I think a Republic is uh, a one of a kind piece of liter- literature. Sure. In in our actual feature, people are going to be able to read some of the terrific commentaries that you've written up to accompany the books that you recommend for aspiring leaders. Could you go ahead and take a minute and rattle off some of those books that you recommend for aspiring leaders? Um, yeah, sure. I can do that, that quickly. The, uh, the leader of the future, and this is in no order, this is not in any order of priority. Okay. This, uh, you know, this, these are just listed the way they came to mind uh, as, I, as I answered your question. Uh, the Leader of the Future, which is a book, it's really a, a, uh, a series of essays from different thinkers about leadership that was put together by the Drucker Foundation. And if I recall correctly, there's a very uh, insightful foreword or introduction to the book by Peter Drucker. Okay. Uh, Leading at the Edge, which is a book by Dennis Perkins, is about the uh, Shackleton expedition in Antarctica, and he draws from Shackleton's experience uh, ten rules or ten guides to leadership, and the first ten chapters of the book, each chapter is about one of those about one of those guides or rules, and uh, it's it's probably uh, if I had to w- read one book about leadership, you know, it might be Leading at the Edge. Okay. Uh, the Living Company by Ari Degas uh, is, is uh, well. I, I sort of feel like I need to talk about each one of these books <laughs> to give them equal billing. These are all, you know, these are really all terrific books. Or I, I wouldn't have put them on the list. Uh, it, the guest has has great messages for us about leadership, about management, and about how how companies ought to be organized. Primal leadership, you know, goes more uh, into the psychology of of, of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patton on leadership, it's it's partly an essay about Patton, it's but it's largely Patton's story, told in large part by quoting Patton, either as public statements, you know, or excerpts from his notebooks and diaries. And, you know, and I think it, it sheds some interesting light on Patton. Patton's a, you know, controversial figure. Later, uh, I remember to respond, responding to one of your, your questions with some comments about Patton and, um, uh, and pointing out at that time that I, you know, John Wooden... I admire enormously, and everything I've read that John Wooden has written, uh, I agree with, except for his critique of Patton. I think it's probably pretty easy to misunderstand Patton, and I'm not in saying that I'm not. You know, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd hasten to say that I'm sure John Wooden is a lot better at understanding people, uh, and he's certainly more a more accomplished leader than I am, but. You know, I, I think sometimes Patton get you know the short end of the stick sure. uh, because I think it's he's, it's sort of easy to to criticize him. Sure. Cyclo leadership by Noel Titchy, uh, managing in the next society by Peter Drucker. Uh, I mean, Drucker is is of course was, but but let's just say is 
you know, not just a, a you know a great thinker about business. I mean, Peter Drucker's just a great thinker, right? And you know, and this managing in the next society, I think, is uh, is an important work. I mentioned you know how how um, uh, much I re- respect the thinking of John Wooden, and Wooden on Leadership is one of the books on this list. It's just a terrific book, and you know, it, it's amazing. You know, it's easy to say, and I, I mentioned this in my commentary, which you're going to attach as a link. You know, it's easy to look back at the 60s and 70s. It's easy to say at the time when when John Wooden kept winning, you know, what, uh, 10 national championships? Right. Seven in a row, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, 88-game winning streak. Uh, well, you say, well, okay, but uh, look, I mean, Guys are going to win if they have uh, Lou Alcindor playing for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I think that's how I uh, maybe thought about UCLA and John Wooden's teams uh, at the time. Not that I didn't admire him greatly, but what I found out in reading Wooden on leadership is John Wooden never left UCLA's campus to recruit these players. And indeed, he never picked up the phone and called any of them and tried to recruit them unless they contacted him first. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that happen? You know, and and uh, and why did that happen? Right. And and the the answer is, I think, and to to put it in in Wooden's words is, uh, good culture attracts good people. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot more to Wooden on leadership than that, uh, but it's it's a great book. I always uh, like the story too about how there was a phenomenal athlete at the time, and through meeting with the athlete, he determined that the character wasn't there and, and you know, took a pass on that player when, you know, most of the world certainly would not have, you know, if they had an opportunity to get someone with great talent, they they would have done it. But yep. uh, he he took a pass, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess the message is there. You know, you've got to understand your culture. Mm-hmm. You've got to make, you know, and, and, and it's got to be important enough to you not to sacrifice it uh, um, you know, for what might be a short-term good result. Exactly, exactly. Winning Every Day by Lou Holtz. I've, I've spoken about Coach Holtz uh, already at length. Winning Every Day is is an excellent book with lots of great messages in it. Uh, you didn't ask what videos I'd recommend. But mm. I think, you know, I think uh, there, are, there are copies of uh, Do Right, his video, out there. I, I think they can still be purchased. Fortunately, mine is, uh, we, we didn't watch it so much that, that we destroyed it. <laughs> it you know, it's, I've still got mine. But, okay. but I, I'll tell you what, it's worth, that's a, that's a video that's worth having, and I'd encourage people to, to buy that. Okay. Orbiting the Giant Hairball. This is a very, by Gordon McKenzie. This is a very different kind of book. Basically, the, the thrust of it is that organizations, corporations of most types become giant hairballs, and they, they tend to, to uh, you know, to tangle people up, to limit their creativity and their ability to, to think. And, in, in fact, he describes uh, corporate America as a giant milking machine, you know, sucking the creativity out of its employees. Hmm. Or, or words to that effect. That's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. Sure. And and, and his message is that that you've got to find ways 
to orbit the giant hairball. And the message to, to corporations is, you know, you need to let your, this, you know, this is the message I take away from it, you need to let your, your subunits, your subsidiaries, you need to allow them to orbit. And, you know, and each small business unit needs to allow its people to orbit. That doesn't mean to, to, you know, to go out and do things that are inappropriate or, or uh, you know, to damage the corporation. There is, when you're orbiting something, uh, you know, there is, there is a regularity and pattern to that. But there's also some freedom of movement, you know, and you're, and you're not tangled up in the hairball at the center. And I think that's a really hard thing uh, for most corporations, most businesses, most governmental organizations, most organizations of any type to come to grips with and allow. It's a really fun read. Okay. Those are the books that I'd recommend. And and if you ask me uh, to aspiring leaders, and if you ask me three weeks from now, there might be, I might come up with a somewhat different list. There might be a couple of new ones. I've got a whole stack of books. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm way behind in reading things. But those are the ones that, that come to mind now, and I will send you my commentaries. You had had mentioned a little bit about the culture of learning, a culture of teaching, and so I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about why you're a believer in utilizing books for leadership and utilizing books to help bring people effectively into the culture of an organization? Part of it stems from the fact that uh, in college I came to love books. In fact, I, I'm so out of space in my, my library at home, I finally, I mean, I think I had all of my books from uh, even the early days of, of, uh, of undergraduate school, and I still have some of those. But finally, I, I said, well, you know, am I really ever going to look at this, uh, you know, whatever book it was again? And the answer was no, but I just couldn't bring myself to some kids when they're in college, take their books back and sell them back to the bookstore. I always kept mine. I fell in love with books probably in the second semester of my freshman year, or maybe it was the first semester of my sophomore year. Uh, at the same time, I fell in love with, with learning, you know, and with knowledge, and I just sort of kept them. So, so I'm infatuated with books. And so, and so I read them, and, and as I read them, I say, gee, that's really a good point. I mean, are, this is full of good points and good points that I want to share with uh, business partners and, and customers, and, and so I do that. And, and then some books uh, I come across, I read, you know, uh, really focus on uh, points, I think, that we need to internalize as people who are in a, uh, a service business. I mean, we, we provide... Maybe I should back up and just say just a little bit about what what Red's business it is. Uh, Red Capital Group is really is is three uh, companies: an investment banking business, a mortgage banking business, and a private capital investment and asset management business. And focused on the asset classes from multifamily housing uh, through everything that's in between from from seniors' housing to skilled nursing to, you know, on to, through that spectrum, okay. and then including small and rural hospitals, uh, critical access hospitals, and other sm- small and rural hospitals. And 
there's there's two there's a, there's maybe there's lots of different ways uh, to look at uh, businesses that are that are in the uh, that are in the business of providing capital. You know, some people look at them as selling products, and and they go out and sell whatever it is, this execution or that execution, and uh, some people view them as uh, entities which which accumulate assets of, of one type or another and in order to in order to dispose of those assets in some way privately place them securitize them uh, whatever well you know I, I look at, at uh, and I think such businesses I think both of those views are while they may be viable because there are lots of businesses out there functioning that way and they're making money and you know and so they're viable from that standpoint. You know, I think that both of them are, both of those views, you know, have the wrong focus. I think the focus is supposed to be on the customer. I think that, and what we try to do here is help the customer, work with the customer uh, or the client to find financial solutions. And, you know, sometimes we have what that customer needs, and that's great. And sometimes we don't. And if we don't, we don't try to solve the customer what we have, but what really doesn't solve the problem. Sure. So, so you you try to create a you know a culture that that revolves around the customer, and uh, you know and and uh, and you try to create a culture culture that 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 understands how to have fun and that that um, and you try to build social capital. Uh, in your business, and by social capital, I mean uh, the good feelings that are created among people when they treat each other the way when we treat each other the way we each want to be treated. Uh, and you try to build that capital, uh, that social capital, if you will, also with your customers. Well, so these books that I share with employees, you know, in an effort to help convey that, you know, it's, they're one of the the tools of 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 trying to, to they help me learn. I mean, learning and teaching are opposite sides of the the, the same thing. They help me learn, and I try to share that uh, as a, a teacher, if you will, with you know with my my colleagues at at Red, and I encourage them to do the same. There are pe- people share books with me. I'm not the only one around here that 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 shares books. I mean, books are shared around this firm. And uh, and I think that's really a good thing. Oh, definitely. This concludes part one. Next, enjoy William Roberts in part two.